Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Eric and Matt here with Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. Hello. I hope you've all had a wonderful week, and thanks so much for tuning back in. We're going to get into today's podcast, and I'm telling you, I think this is going to be a really good one. You know, Matt and I have done a few podcasts in the past where we've discussed this concept sort of loosely, but, um, you know, I want to sort of pose the question or, or the statement here, rather, where we just say, like, everyone is a soldier, right? What do we mean when we say everyone is a soldier? Um, you know, the accountability of it, the, the courage and the dedication and the, the personal responsibility that comes along with uh, with soldiering. What do we mean when we say that? I, I think that the answer might actually surprise some of you, and it may not be quite as simple of an answer as you might be thinking. And uh, if you'll give us some of your time, I think you might come away from this uh, with some cool perspective, you know? So that's what we're trying to accomplish here today. And um, dude, uh, let's talk about the Jiu-Jitsu Academy for a minute before we get started, though, because yeah, look, man. man, you're killing it with that. Like you, you've got over 40 students now up yep. there. You're training your butt off. You're getting thrown around twice a day. You're throwing people around. Yeah, like man. you're yeah. sore as crap. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so how's that going? It's going great. You know, we opened um, last October and, you know, we didn't really say anything. We're just trying to, um, you know, yeah, grow the school, get everything in order. Um, we affiliated with Alliance Jiu-Jitsu, which is, um, the most winningest Jiu-Jitsu affiliation in history. We're 13 time world champions, um, current world champions. We have world-class Jiu-Jitsu. And we did that because we wanted to make sure that whatever we're teaching our students comes from the best. You know, that's a, it's a thing that, you know, I hold myself to whatever I do. I want to try to do, be the best at it. And whatever we're providing to our students, we want to provide them the best um, training that they can get. And jujitsu, we chose jujitsu because I think it's just one of the most practical uh martial arts that you can learn. I come from a Taekwondo background. I did that my entire life. I could have easily decided to do that, but, um, I practiced jujitsu in the army. I think it's a great martial art and it's very, very practical and we're competition focused. So I know we're competing at the, uh, upcoming Atlanta open, uh, here in May, we're going to field a very strong team. Hopefully we can, uh, bring home the the gold in that one. We already brought home the first place trophy for the one in February, the Atlanta Open in February. So awesome, dude! Yeah, man, we're we may have to come up there and film. Yeah, man, let's Would that do be it. fun. Yeah, man, we should plan that. And uh, so you're in Roswell, Georgia, is that location? Uh, yes. And what's the, the website? It's Atlanta uh, Alliance BJJ Roswell com. Awesome. I'll put a link down in the description box below here on YouTube if you're following. And just for our listeners, um, you know, we're we're available on all the different podcast forums. Make sure you leave us a great rating, and uh, and that helps us show up in the search results and things like that. Also, if you're following here on YouTube, big thanks to you. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We do post these in video form on YouTube as well over on Iraq Veteran 8888 if you want to check them out. That's the YouTube channel. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Iraq Veteran 8888. We don't have an LLP uh, Twitter page yet. I think we need to fix that. Uh, Yeah, maybe we will. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. We need to fix that. So let's get into this. I think it's it's firstly important to um, discuss maybe the concept of the Minuteman is where we start. You yeah, know, it's let, a good let's place go back to, start. to the Minuteman. And um, 
This goes back to the American Revolutionary War, and this is not going the direction that you think it is. But we just want to discuss the, let's just say, accountability that people were expected to adhere to back in the colonial days. Uh, you want to read this one? I read the last one. So, Minutemen were members of the organized New England colonial militia, companies trained in weaponry, tactics, and military strategies during the American Revolutionary War. They were known for being ready at a minute's notice, hence the name Minutemen, provided a highly mobile, rapidly deployed force that enabled the colonies to respond immediately to military threats. They were the evolution from the prior colonial rapid response units. That wow. part, I think somebody added in there, but uh, because I don't believe they would have rapid response units uh, in colonial laws, but the term Minutemen definitely fits the bill. Well, you know, it, it does make sense, right? Like in the early colonial days, mm -hmm. if you had, let's just say, a settlement that could be nothing more than literally some, like, you know, reed walls that were just made out of river reeds or made out of a mud embankment with some, you know, uh, palmetto trees or something like, right? you know, pretty basic fortifications that would mainly just keep like animals out of your camp and, and maybe, you know, looters or bandits or whoever you might be dealing with or whatever. Uh, it would make sense that you, you'd probably always have a contingency of people that were ready in case there was some immediate attack. I mean, I don't know. It was like, uh, hey, George, call out the rapid response unit. Yes, I don't know if that's what they call it. Exactly. But, but they're like, hey, yeah. you know, we need to have a few guys geared up and ready to go just in case. You know, you never know. You got to be able to respond to a threat where it occurs. Well, it was um, it was my understanding that the expectation that, you know, back in the colonial era was that, you know, to you know, no pun included. Everybody was a soldier. Yeah, everybody had to do their part. And you know, you had your Minutemen, which were responsible for being ready at a minute's notice. I've also heard that you know that was not an exact minute. It could have been you know an hour. It could have been thirty minutes. But it was just the the frame of mind that you needed to be ready quickly to respond to any type of you know issues. But everybody had a part to play whether it was you know a baker or the priest at the church like everybody had to come together to do their part uh, and that's kind of where i see today's episode going with like everybody being a soldier yes i agree and when we apply that to modern military doctrine you know that's why a lot of support uh, jobs in the military, you know, you still carry a rifle, right? Like you look at, especially in the Vietnam War, uh, where, you know, there were a lot of situations where fobs and bases were overran by the enemy quite often, right? And, you know, you might be in the cook shack one minute and the next minute you're, you're picking up a rifle because uh, Charlie's in the wire, right? As they yep. say. And uh, that's true. Like every person in a military environment needs to be prepared to defend themselves at all times. And I think that that's just smart planning like you know of course you need to be able to defend yourself and have the tools to defend yourself so when we say everyone is a soldier or every man or every woman is a soldier i i think that it's important to realize that you know there might be times in our lives where we are asked to run to danger when we're asked to be responsible for someone else's life for our own life when we are required to potentially pick up a weapon to defend ourselves against an enemy who's trying to hurt us and it's quite easy for us as Americans to be jaded 
in that we don't really know what it's like to be invaded, attacked, like geographically we are such an anomaly you know we're surrounded by water like we're in a great strategic location as a country to fight off invaders we're surrounded by water the people on the immediate land masses near us are our friends at least for now i mean we're we're reasonably okay with mexico we're we're good with canada of course they're one of our strongest allies so generally you know we get along with everybody on our continent and in our immediate vicinity so Americans, you know, we don't really know what it's like to be attacked. You yeah, know, outside like, of the like movies, yeah. I mean, that's the only only experience you see is when you watch like Red Dawn. You know, like it's that's the only experience most people have with the thought of being invaded. Yeah. Um, but there's stories like like you said about not just the the front line fighters, the infantry guys, the <laughs> the guys out there, but like you mentioned Vietnam, but I'm thinking back like World War II. You know, there's like stories of like camp kitchens having to bring, and this one sticks out in my mind, they're loading the hot chow onto the vehicle and they're taking that hot chow to the frontline soldiers. But in between them and the frontline soldiers is the enemy line. So they are literally taking this hot food delivery through the enemy lines, getting ambushed and then delivering the food so they can eat it. Then they got to take all that stuff back across the enemy lines. So, yeah, those guys are fighting, but these guys are making food deliveries like every day through enemy lines. Yeah. And then you have the um, the runners. So you have like the guy, they didn't have comm, like comms back to headquarters. They're sending, you know, private so-and-so by himself. Their courier. Yeah, by himself to go across, you know, the battlefield. Yeah. That's scary, man. Think about that for a second. Like you're running through the woods of freaking Germany, snowing by yourself. And next thing you know, all hell breaks loose and you're getting shot at. And you just, all you're trying to do is deliver a message. That's right. So it's, it's almost like you'd be better off just like wearing civilian clothes and just pretend you're a farmer looking for his lost cow or something. But exactly. Of course, that's a war crime nowadays. You can, you can't. (laughs) You can't be a military member and impersonate a civilian. It's actually uh, against international law yep. uh, to not be in uniform. And then it's like the the weird things that would happen. Like you would run into like a farmer and like they're just like, oh, hey, guten tag. Yeah. Like, you want some want some food? Some and like, milk, milk. Yeah. They're like giving you food and milk and you're like, all right, see ya. That's Bye. It. It's just crazy, man. But I think that the modern American is just jaded into not really understanding what it's like to to have to give up everything at the drop of a dime if 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 society if if it if it happens if the situation dictates that it happens. And I really wanted this podcast to kind of be about that. About you know what does it mean when it, when we say every every person is a soldier, everyone is a soldier. You know, I think that we should be of the mindset that we should always be prepared for any bad situation. And just because we say soldier, we don't mean necessarily someone that 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 is only, you know, well appointed in, let's just say, combat arms or combat or uh, firearms like it, it could be someone who's really well equipped on a well-rounded a series of skills, right? You know, being good medical training, uh, good, good uh, acumen when it comes to you know communications, ham radios, and things like that. Good life skills, right? Survival skills, being able to make fire and uh, and to handle you know bush medicine and all of those sorts of things. There are many skills that make a person 
of of a quality of of person that makes them a good good soldier material. But I think everyone should strive to be good soldier material, and it doesn't mean that you have to be violent or you have to be of a mindset of one that chooses violence. Violence is just a tool, a necessary tool in a very wide ranging uh, bag of tools, right? And I think that when people think military, they think soldiers. They think, well, if you're a soldier, you're, you have a disposition to violence. You have a disposition to a certain type of behavior. Or, oh, uh, that a military environment is, is inherently violent. And uh, I, I don't want people to necessarily think that way. I want them to think more of, of soldiering as being a, 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 a mode of accountability, right? Like whether it's accountability to your family and your communities, uh, your accountability to your uh, significant other, no matter who they may be. Or maybe even uh, accountability to your country in the case of a, of a soldier in a professional army. You're essentially accountable to someone. That's what soldiering is. Soldiering is the concept of being accountable to a cause, to a group of people, uh, up to and including your life if necessary. I mean, in a military environment, if you're being uh, engaged uh, in, a, in an invasion, uh, like, you know, what's going on in Ukraine right now, you know, Russia's invading Ukraine. I'm not going to get into the geopolitical whims of right and wrong in that situation, but the the logistics of the situation are that Ukraine was sitting there minding their own business and all of a sudden here comes Russia. One minute you're uh, sitting there minding your own business, the next minute you're being invaded. That's the reality of your situation at that point in time, right? No matter how hard your life has been up to that point, Guess what? It's going to get harder. No matter how much violence and death and terrible things you've seen in your life, guess what? It's going to get worse. It's going to, at that point, your reality has now become a reality that is one that is not of your choosing, not of your making, but a reality that you have to react to. That's the difference. The caliber of person that you're dealing with, when we say everyone's a soldier, what we mean is everyone should achieve the mindset of being accountable and being liquid enough, if you will, or being being open-minded enough to react to a situation and become that situation, become the situation, not become a victim of the situation, but to learn to control the situation and receive it and react to it. It's important. It's And that was very well put because that really paints a picture of what what this episode is going is trying to say or show is that you just because we're using the word soldier it doesn't mean in a military manner it just means in the way that you are acting or the way that it's almost like a characteristic versus um it is what an actual what you are actually are and I guess an example of that would be that, and I had it written down here while you were, while you were talking. And I don't like using references from like colonial era or the revolutionary war or anything like that because people like, Oh, that's so far ago, uh, so long ago, you know, that doesn't apply to today. But if you look at, you know, if you look at the evidence and the stories and you applied it today, would you still be able to do it? Like, would you have the wherewithal to do the, the same, fortitude. like the yeah, fortitude wherewithal to do, to do that. And an example of that would be, you know, as those 
soldiers in like during the colonial era, 1775 to 1770, let's just say eight, they were fighting revolutionary war, right? For two years in the beginning, they were not getting paid. There was a promise of payment for joining the continental army. So for two years, so the first year they were fighting, they did not get paid. And then Washington obviously had to go and like beg and plead and tell them not to leave and like, hey, we're going to get the money. Just stay in the, stay in the military, help us fight. And then that was another year before they, they got paid. Um, now outside of that, imagine what the wives had to do. Cause here you have a husband who was the traditional, you know, making the money for the family, not making any money. The, the wives, you know, the family members, don't have any money. They they have kids, they have houses, they have things they have to buy and they don't have any money. So now imagine the stress that puts on them and the what they have to do in order to survive. So not only do you have a husband not making money, you have a family that needs money. And now I was watching a documentary. It was a really nice documentary about the, the Culpepper ring but eventually it came to the point where the families would actually travel with the troops. So you had the troop movements, like the camp encampment heat, like in one area. And then off to the side, you would have the family encampment. So you'd actually have like the wives and the kids and they would be camping off to the side. And I mentioned this because part of their responsibility was to take care of some of the tasks that the soldiers could wouldn't weren't able to do like mending uniforms like cleaning stuff cooking so it kind of became this shared responsibility of like hey not only are you not getting paid to be a soldier and put your life on the line and and fight for your freedom we're going to bring your family into it and your family's going to help us as well and I'm sure there was some griping and some complaining, as there always is. But the fact of the matter is, is that they still did it. And that is yeah. like the that is the quintessential idea of like soldiering, because they're yeah. they're they're prevailing, they're doing what they have to do in order to survive. I think that people were really wired different back then, and I think they were made of different stuff back then for sure. I mean, you look at some of the brave things that ladies were doing. Look, they they were they had a heck of a task on their hands, you know, yes. when their soldiers were away uh, or their husbands were soldiering and away at war and everything like that, you know, they, they had to take up the mantle, you know, they had to chop the firewood, they had to slaughter the animals. They had to do all the tasks that their husband, whatever their husband would have done while they were gone, they had to do like, and they didn't have a choice. And that is the definition of soldiering. 110% is when you're given a set of circumstances that are usually, um, you know, adverse, and you must react to them and excel in that situation and come out on top in that situation. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, you know, always being willing and able to be prepared for any situation that might arise. And I know that in recent times in society, uh, I know we've gone a long way through time because we've, we've discussed some, you know, more modern military engagements uh, involving rear D troops and things like that, but then also the Revolutionary War. But when we look at modern times, I think that people have really um, gotten much more of a mindset now of general preparedness. Uh, people are getting more into homesteading. People are getting more into raising their own food and animals 
In fact, um, I don't want to get too far in this conversation in this particular podcast, but I suppose we can talk about it for a minute. I, uh, I recently just finished some raised uh, garden beds, so we're going to be growing. Uh, I'm actually growing bok choy. I like the way you looked at me when you said yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I'm growing bok choy, you know, um, and I'm growing, uh, I'm growing kale, and I'm going to grow some cabbage. Because I love my cabbage, so I'm going to try and make my own kimchi. Nice. You know, I'm going to have to get a recipe from your mom. But the point is, like, people are becoming more self-sufficient. So, like, I've got my raised garden beds. I've got a huge pool that I'm going to use to raise tilapia in, right? I've got my beehive. I'm going to get a nuke of bees this year. So, little things like that. I think people are becoming much more self-sufficient. We're going to keep chickens this year. Nice. Because I eat a lot of eggs now. So... I mean, gosh, you look at egg prices. Dude, yeah, you got like all the – dude, guys, I walked in his house and this guy has egg cartons stacked from like the floor to the ceiling. When he says he eats a lot of eggs, that's an understatement. Yeah. These guys killing eggs. I do eat a lot of <laughs> eggs. But the point is people have become much more of the mindset now of self-sufficiency in modern times. And um, I think there was a time where it was required that you didn't have a choice. There was a time where it was encouraged, but maybe some people just kind of like, hey, we're going to go more to modern conveniences, like when more homes had refrigerators and there was, you know, more convenient prepackaged processed foods. You know, people got a little bit more away from pressure canning and preservation methods like that. And of course, there was a time where, you know, you had to pressure can your own food. You know, you would grow your crops pressure can everything, store your food for the winter, and that would sustain you, and you would just rinse and repeat the process, and that was a normal part of life for a long time for a lot of people. And some of that knowledge has gone by by the wayside. Um, But in recent years, it does make me kind of proud to say that there has been a huge resurgence in the group of Americans that have taken on uh, the important tasks of like pressure canning, food preservation. Also, there's so many cool options for freeze-dried foods now that, of course, in times past, they didn't have that technology. But now you can have an at-home freeze-dryer. Now you're talking. Yep. You know, you get your, your eggs um, that your chickens laid, and you may not be able to use them all. You can freeze-dry them suckers, have freeze-dried eggs. Yeah. And now you have the ultimate in food preservation. Uh, and again, all right, is that a soldiering task? Well, you better believe it is, right? To sustain yourself, you must survive. You need sustenance. You need mm-hmm. food. You need water. You need resources. So again, the mindset now being that in our current culture, more people have begun to undertake the tasks of survival as just a normal part of life now. And a general sense of preparedness has just been a good idea that most people tend to have in the back of their minds. More people are having home gardens now. More people are raising chickens. More people have flow hives, and they're Mm -hmm. raising edible fish, and they're keeping livestock because times are uncertain, and you You got to be ready. I'm going to plug a YouTube channel here that I absolutely love. Sure. And it's Townsend & Son. So it's a channel. The guy's name is James Townsend. All he does is 18th century like living. Not a gun channel by any means, nothing to do with guns, but the majority of his content is just... Is that the guy that cooks all the meals and stuff? Yes, dude. Yeah. 
it's it's so awesome because he uses the 18th century utensils and for anybody that's watching 18th century is the 1700s so that would be right around the revolutionary war like colonial times and they used like he he uses like the actual utensils he uses the actual recipes sometimes they're good sometimes they're not good but the way that he does the content some of his most recent content has been like soldiering skills like 18th century soldiering so it'll he'll he gets journals this is amazing he'll get a journal from a soldier from the revolutionary war and he'll just read the journal they they're supposed to get like one pound of pork or meat and like so much flour and these guys as to feed themselves they just literally mix water with flour and put it on a rock and then it cooks in the fire or like they make a soup out of the out of the meat and it's just like water and boiled pork (laughs) so i mean it's just like when you see the way that they lived and like how they did this for like four years as a soldier like this was it they'd go hungry like they literally had to go and catch something to eat like chipmunks or squirrels or whatever yes but if you didn't catch anything guess what you didn't eat like yeah. This is just the way that it was. I know hardtack was always they did a lot of hardtack. You know, too. a real important ration for them to have because it didn't require any preservation or anything like that, and would keep mm-hmm. forever. In fact, there was a situation where I think they found a Civil War knapsack somewhere that was pretty well preserved, and they opened it up, and sure enough, there were some hardtack rations in there from the Civil War, and they were still good. Believe it or not, they were I, still edible. I, I believe it. I don't know if they would be edible, like meaning like how hard they were, but yeah, they were still edible. Yeah. And normally, like when everybody sees hardtack, if you don't know what it is, it's like think of like a cracker, except real thick and real hard. That's why they call it hardtack. And basically, it's like it's just a little salt and flour. It's like super basic, mm-hmm. and it hardens into this just ridiculously hard little cookie about the size of a cracker. But imagine, you know, real thick. Kind of like a compressed piece of bread, like a small piece of bread that's really hard. Yep. And everybody thinks, well, you break your teeth and, and break it off. That's not how most of them would, would, would eat the hardtack. Normally, they would um, they would dip it in their coffee and soften it up, or they would have a soup, and the soup would kind of soften it up. Yep. You, you wouldn't go trying to bite on that hardtack. Now, some of them would, I'm sure, but it's just interesting the amount of self-reliance that soldiers were – expected to you know take care of on their own uh terms you know in early warfare and when we look at again the the every man a soldier idea again that simple self-sufficiency is something that should always follow you around like you don't have to be a professional soldier you don't have to be a professional infantryman you don't have to be in the military or be part of a police department to just understand the basic concept of self-preservation and this simple concept of self-reliance and being ready for any situation. And I think that the whole prepper movement or survivalist movement or all of these movements that society points their finger at and says, oh, well, in the 80s and 90s, there was the prepper survivalist kind of thing. And, oh, we thought that these people were kind of a a fringe group of society that, you know, well, they they, they think that, you know, the government's going to fail or all these sorts of things. I mean, it doesn't matter what the individual drivers are for what makes a person decide to undergo the concept of, of, of just, you know, being prepared, right? Maybe you survived a terrible storm 
and you realize afterwards, wow, we were not really well prepared. We got caught with our pants down and smart people, of course, go, well, what can we do better this time? How can we future proof this situation so that if another storm comes, how are we going to weather this storm? How are we going to come out on the other side and, and be okay? Like, that's not a weird thing. That's not a fringe uh, idea. That's not a, a, a crazy conspiracy theory or some crazy thing that someone can go, oh, you're weird for, for thinking that way or whatever. It's just simple self-preparedness. Like, when you have some generators, some fuel, some spare food, maybe some clean water, like, is that really that outlandish of a concept for people to accept? It is for people that have never experienced um, loss of food and water i mean you most recently have had that experience with the hurricanes that are the tornadoes that came through and busted up the town a tornado literally almost took out my house recently like it literally destroyed a house not even a half a mile from mine and that that's close for comfort right like we're talking this house was just about destroyed yep i remember i saw that on the news i sent you a quick text message i was like hey (laughs) everything good man because Dude, I see the pictures on TV and it ain't we good. We dodged a bullet. We yeah. literally didn't even have a limb fall off, oddly enough. Now, we had a lot of wind. It was windy and I'm thinking, oh boy, what the heck is going on here? But luckily, knock on wood, everything was cool. But things were cool, but it could have not been. Right. Were we ready? Of course we were. Yeah, the power was still out. We had our generators. Everything was good. I, I hooked my Starlink up to my generator. I hooked my refrigerator up to my generator. And I hooked my, um, well, it's all plugged in. I can't show you. But I have a cell phone bank uh, for cell phone chargers. And there are these battery banks that we actually, we use for our lighting that you see back here. We use these little mobile lighting panels. And we use these um, 2,000 milliamp rechargeable um, battery banks. And, and I've got this battery bank thing over here that holds a whole bunch of them and you just plug the one battery bank in and it charges them all. So we had all of our battery backups plugged in, our Starlink, our refrigerator, and, you know, we could at least charge our phones, keep in touch with what was going on, stay informed, browse the internet to help, you know, deal with the boredom and things, and keep our groceries from going bad in the refrigerator. And that's at least enough to kind of get by you know yeah i mean the groceries in the fridge is is huge because if you lose power do not open that fridge <laughs> like that thing is going to lose so much of the of the right. cooling power um so that's what you experienced what i experienced um we used to live in a part of town that had it was an older part of town and that had exposed power lines. So the power lines actually ran above ground. So you had like the traditional power lines and the power would go out all the time. Like the infrastructure was just a little bit old. They didn't update. It was a very nice part of town. They just never upgraded the infrastructure. So the power would go out like every other day, like 30 minutes, an hour. And like, this isn't supposed to happen. This is, we're in a first world country. Fast forward, we moved to a different part of town and it had underground utilities. We haven't lost power like to this day since we moved in. So it just goes to show you like the way that the infrastructure is set up, you can plan accordingly. Sure. So we know that we have a very reliable power grid in our part of town. That doesn't mean I'm not going to go out and get a generator or have one on standby just in case, because you know, if your power goes out, it's catastrophic. That means something happened at the like power station level 
versus happened at your local utility power or your utility tower level. So yeah. get a get a generator. That's yeah, I mean it it's important. And um, you know, I run the the Honda inverter generators. Um those are the ones that I like. I think they're called the EU two thousands or something like that. Um I like those. They're they're quite good, and you can get the uh, the link cable for them, and you can connect them to have more power if you want to power you know larger require power requirements that might need more power. You can do that, uh, and, and I think some people can even have a whole house generator setups that mm-hmm. can power their whole home. Now our our power requirements are kind of stupid, so that's a little bit limiting of a factor for us. We generate seventy percent of our electricity on site. Um, I've got a huge solar array. And that helps some. I don't have the battery capacity, though, to store. Uh, this is getting into the weeds. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this. But we just we just don't have the battery capacity to store a whole lot of power. Uh, but we do make a lot and sell a lot back to the grid. So that does help, of course. And, uh, you know, that helps with our bill and everything like that and helps keep us more self-sufficient. Um, so back to the, to the soldiering concept. I suppose some people are probably going to wonder or ask themselves, well, well, what about what about firearms? What about um, let's just say a general state of preparedness like the Minutemen? Let's go back to the colonial times and, and talk about the Minutemen. Well, obviously the Minutemen had their their muskets, they had their their firearms, you know, their pistols, they had their accoutrements and everything they need to be able to run it, keep their guns clean. Um, I believe at the time most of your uh, Minutemen and volunteers were required to have a certain amount of shots on hand and a, lot, a certain amount of powder and cat or uh, flints and things like that, and be able to maintain and 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 keep their their weapon going in the field. So they were all expected to provide their own weapons and, and ammunition and everything like that. Um, I think the modern the idea of the modern Minuteman, if you will, I think that still holds true pretty well. I mean, most most people that value preparedness and and value the concept of being ready for just about anything that might come their way are probably going to own at least some sort of a rifle, a pistol, um, possibly a shotgun. Uh, A shotgun is is kind of a more specialized weapon for some. Like some people may not really like shotguns. Maybe they don't see the value in them. I personally think they're very important. I think everybody should own at least a great quality pistol, rifle, and shotgun. I think that that's just common sense. It really is. And you it know, makes sense. a decent amount of ammunition to support them. I mean, it really, the same holds true, even as it did in the colonial days, you know, have whatever weapons you're going to defend yourself with well-kept, well-regulated. Hmm. That's what that actually means is well-kept in good condition, in working order, sighted in, ready to go. Well-regulated means well-kept, well-appointed, well attributed to the use of, right? That language is a thing. Like, that's what it means. Society has always tried to say, oh, the anti-gunners say, well, well-regulated means that we should regulate the hell, hell out of it. And that's not true. That is not what the constitutional language means, and they know it, and they're being disingenuous about it. But anyway, I digress. The point is, you keep your equipment in good order. You take care of your equipment. It's going to take care of you. You don't have guns because you're going to go on some crazy crusade, you have guns in case a crusade comes to you. And and you should always be ready for any disastrous situation that might come your way. Right? What if, I don't know, a bad disaster happens. All right, so that, that tornado came through my city. And unfortunately, you know, there was some looting. There was a little bit of 
crap going on in the city. There were some some places that got robbed when the power was out. I think the power was out for three days. Three days might not seem like a long amount of time for the power to be out, but believe me, it is. Uh, it can be. And actually, I, I take that back. Our power was out almost a week here. It took them a while to get everything back up because there was power lines down everywhere. There was trees down everywhere. So in that situation, like when there's a disruption of goods and services, there's a disruption of the logistical goings ons, if you will, like uh, of everything that you expect, like the grocery stores are out of food, the traffic lights don't work, the cell phone towers aren't, aren't responding. Like of all these things happen, people get into a, a relative, there's two different people. There's people that get into this crazy mode of desperation because they got caught with their pants down and they go, well, I just need to solve this problem no matter what. Or they see the weakness of the situation and they go, well, I'm going to try to exploit this situation. I'm going to go rob these stores while the power's out or while the cops are busy, I'm going to go do this or do that. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people that are like, hey, things are cool. My chainsaws are fueled up. Uh, my generators are good. I got plenty of fuel, got plenty of food. Uh, what can I do to help? You know, can I go clear some trees? Can I do something? So there are different mindsets and, and different types of people and how they deal with certain situations. Some people victimize the situation, try to find the victim in the situation and exploit those people. And of course, I think those are terrible people that do that. But then there are good people that go, you know what? We're going to try to make the best of the situation and help the community. And I think that when we look at the Minuteman concept, that's what those people were back then. They were meant to be a force multiplier for good, a force of good, a force of general well-being of the citizenry. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in the back of our minds. You know, while this power was down, people were bringing out their um, uh, side by sides, tractors, saws. Hell, one guy had a skid steer with a with a grapple on it. He was out there grabbing trees and moving them out of the road and helping clear the roads. I mean, like, they weren't required to do that. They weren't forced to do that. The government didn't come knock on the door and say, hey, we know you have a skid steer. We need to commandeer this skid steer so we can clear the roads. No. They they were like, hey, we're needed, and I have the tools to solve this problem. Therefore, I'm going to use my tools to solve this problem because that's what any good person does. You're going down, down the road. You keep a saw in your truck. I have my saw in my truck. I sawed up plenty of trees on the road. I remember Was you did I that required last time to too. do it? No, I wasn't required to do it. Was it the right thing to do? Yes, it was the right thing to do. Was I a minute man? Yes, I was a minute man because I knew because I always have my saw fueled up, bar oil ready to go, plenty of fuel ready to go. And all I got to do is go over to the barn, grab that joker, put it in my truck. All right, what are we doing? Let's go. I went to town that day and I knew well, there's probably going to be some trees down somewhere, right? It's just all preparedness. You know, that Minuteman concept can come in so many different forms. Everyone assumes that it has to be just guns. It has to be just a militaristic uh, approach, but it, it doesn't. It, it can be so many different concepts. Well, a good example of that is, is very similar to yours. Um, during the uh, Katrina hurricane and um, all the subsequent hurricanes after that, they have what they call the Cajun Navy and the Cajun Navy is just a bunch of volunteers that all are boat owners. And whenever those things hit down in Louisiana, Mississippi, that whole Delta area, you see them on the highway all in a line. They're going down and all their sole purpose is they're all volunteers. 
They all just want to do the right thing. They go on there. They're the ones plucking people out of the water, um, mm-hmm. dogs, animals, you know, people. Checking on the elderly. Yes. Whoever I mean, needs help. And, I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to see that people come together that way. They don't have to do that. You know, they don't – lots of them are coming in from four states away, three states away, and they just want to help. And they have the means to help. Mm-hmm. They're not getting paid for it. Matter of fact, they're taking on liability by helping people. Who's to say in this litigious world that you hurt somebody by saving them and they turn around and take legal action against you? Yeah. So, Or what if you have an $80,000 boat and you destroy it? Yeah. You know. It, Ram into yeah, a statue underwater and exactly. you done ruined your boat. You don't I mean, know what's going risk. on under the water, you know. Um, or, you know, you could get hurt. You can get hung up. You can get pulled underwater with the drag line. And next thing you know, you're out there volunteering and you're now you're dead. So the, the fact that people are willing to step up, put their personal boats on the line, put their lives on the line to help people. It is probably one of the most, um, one of the most aspirational things that you can do when you're helping somebody. I think it is a very American trait. And I think that that's something that people tend to really forget is that it is a very American trait for us to volunteer to help people that are in need around us, especially in our communities. And, you know, like I know that there's a lot of division in our country and not to get on a soapbox in this regard, but I know there's a lot of division and people tend to think that we're a very polarized nation. And in some ways we might be very polarized. That's true. That's true. But in America, when something tries to hurt our people or some force, whether it's Mother Nature or whether it is some literal force like a military or or an attack or something like look at 9-11. We were so patriotic after that. Look at how many how much people love their country. You know, yeah, there might have been some division on, on, on many different fronts. Might have been political division, right? There, there's always going to be division. But what brings people together so much more than advers- an adversary that's greater than, than the both of you? And Americans excel at that. We excel at the art form of going, now, wait a minute. Yeah, I may not like this person that much, but you know what? You're not going to hurt him. <laughs> you know, if anybody's going to hurt him, it's going to be me. You know, it's almost yeah. like it's like we, we compete for that. And we we have this strange mentality of, well, wait a minute. No, you're not going to hurt this person. I'm not going to let you hurt this person. I may not agree with him, but I ain't going to let you hurt him. I know that because... Sometimes we get to the point where we go, you know what? We're Americans, dang it. And we ain't going to allow this to happen to our fellow people. And I think that's a uniquely American trait where we do quarrel and we do have our divisions. But I don't think we let that. We we don't always let those visions, uh, the divisions, you know, stand in the way of um, the ultimate progress of humanity, of our of our humanity. Right. I, I think that that's an important thing to consider. I would agree. It's a uniquely American trait. It is. It really is. Because if you go to, and it is very prevalent in Asian culture. In Asian culture, whether it's Korean, Japanese, especially Chinese, it's a really big problem in China, is nobody helping when they see something wrong. And um, in America, you can almost count on somebody stepping in to help. But in Asia, you could literally be drowning and they would just watch you drown. So it's really, yeah. Uh, it, it's just this weird thing of just nobody wanting to step in and help. Is it just one of those things where in that culture, they're, they're all just sort of, uh, of the disposition to mind their own business? 
Like it's about I privacy. Would, like people just want to mind their own business. That that I don't have an exact answer. I just know that that's that's. Well, just, look at Fukushima. A, yeah. Right when that reactor, when that whole situation mm-hmm. went down, and the Fukushima reactor was was uh, melting down or whatever you want to call it, uh, having that that reaction, uh, all those uh, Japanese citizens that were in jail offered like, "Hey, let us out of here, and we'll we'll do what we can." And a lot of those people died. Yeah. So I mean, there are a lot of selfless acts that are that are done by people in, in many different cultures all around the world. And uh, I think the Japanese tend to be a pretty good example of that. I mean, they, they always you always notice like the, the, the way that their society is organized very orderly. Everything's kind of orderly and regimented and almost militaristic, even in, a, in its everyday carrying out of things like everything's a task. Everything's an art form. Like you can't just make a bowl of soup. Like they, everything they do, they overdo. You got to make the best soup in the world every time. Or, you know, or you got to make it look good. You know, you have the presentation, like even, even around here, like you go to a Japanese restaurant and order some sushi, like they're not just going to throw the sushi on a plate. Like you're at a gas station. They're going to make it look good. You know, so life is an art form to some people. And, you know, I think that's important, you know, and in a lot of Asian cultures, that's very true. You know, I think that different cultures all around the world do look at life in very, under very different lenses. But I think that the way Americans look at things is a pretty unique perspective. And they may not always agree. You know, the, the people around the world may not always agree with us and how we approach problems and how we solve problems and how we deal with certain societal woes, if you will. But I think, we always tend to work it out one way or the other. And, uh, and I think that's really what it just all comes down to is, you know, we can disagree. We can, we can not get along in various ways. Uh, there can be a lot of contention, uh, on how we solve problems, but we always solve it one way or the other. And I think that's what the minute man concept, the everyday, every man, every woman, a soldier concept kind of becomes is like knowing when it's your time to get thrown into the fray and to deal with the situation as best you can, the best of your abilities yeah. with taking, what you have and, on hand. And taking on that responsibility together, you know, as, as a team, I always did wonder if the, if the forefathers of the past, if they were placed into modern times, would they make the same decisions? Because if you think about it, all of those, all the people that took place in, you know, the writing, the declaration of the independence in the beginning gave up everything. They gave up their estates. They gave up their like money. Everything. There was nothing left. They had literally financed this and given everything away. If the, if it didn't go the way it did, they would be left with nothing. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think they knew too that if they lost, they'd be dead anyway. Right. They but, they but, knew that if the British won, they'd all be hung. But know? to walk away, because many of them were wealthy, like at that point, like they had estates. So that would be the equivalent of say you or me, like walking away from everything that we've worked hard for. I mean, granted, they only were, a lot of them came from British aristocracy they, anyway. Yes, like and, you and know, they, they were educated. They were men by of the means, as they say. Yeah. So. To say, oh, you know, I'm just going to walk away from all this. I'm going to sacrifice all my hard work. I'm going to give everything away. Uh, and hopefully it turns out, you know, the way that it turns out in my favor. 
that's 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 a tough ask for anybody th- these days, like in the current time. And that's why I don't like using those older stories and analogies, like for current day topics. But it's the only way to put it in perspective on how much they sacrifice. It is hard for it to be relevant, though, and I think that you know when we when we look at okay, what is the average person willing to sacrifice? I think that given the proper stimulus that that is the most important point of contention and there there's a lot of people that will sort of pose the question they'll say well how do we know when enough is enough how do we know when when people are going to take up arms and and undergo some i don't know a second revolution if you will and that that talk has always been around like people go well well how much is how, is when is enough enough right i think that is there's always a stimulus there's always a building up of an idea to the point where a kettle boils over, like it's simmering and, and then it gets to the point where it's just complete boiling over. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a frog in that water too, you know, like where the frog is like, wow, this is kind of comfy. I'm swimming around in here. This Mm -hmm. ain't so bad. And then it starts to get so hot before you know it, you're a boiling frog in the kettle too. And I think our founding fathers were smart enough to realize the writing that was on the wall. And I think that in life, we have to look at the writing on the wall in everyday life as well. And, um, I think that given the the correct stimulus, given the correct set of circumstances, I do think that people today are just as capable of acts of patriotism and bravery as our founding fathers were. We just have to be given the the correct stimulus and the correct reasoning. And and really, that's what it all comes down to. And And I think that ultimately, the society that exists now holistically in the world, not just the United States, but in the world... I think society now wants peace probably more uh, and, and probably wants to see a political way to solve a situation and to avoid war uh, more than, than societies in the past. Think about the interconnectivity of ideas and the exchange and free-flowing exchange of information that, for now at least, seems to be on the forefront of everybody's uh, list of importance, right? I mean, look at Elon Musk spend, spending $44 billion on Twitter just so we could all have a place to hash out our differences, right? Now, some people, I've heard people say, well, Twitter is a toxic environment. It's gotten more toxic since uh, Elon Musk took over. Well, maybe you need to take a moment to consider that maybe your perspective is being challenged. And is that not a healthy thing for our perspectives to be challenged? For our way of viewing a situation to potentially change? That's such a scary concept for so many people to think that, wow, your mind might actually get changed. You might actually have to have an open mind for a change and entertain an opinion that might differ from your own. Wow, what a crazy concept. (laughs) You know, we are on Twitter. If you follow us on Iraq Veteran 8888, by the way, shameless plug, uh, our Twitter page is growing like crazy. I do encourage you all to follow us on Twitter. I post some great deals on there as well as a ton of behind-the-scenes photos and some of my political ramblings, if you will, and, and, you know, some general... I just post all kind of things that come out of my head of mine, right? But You can uh, get a bit spicy. I do get spicy. Some spicy freedom. Uh, so if you like that, make sure you follow us on Twitter at IraqVeteran8888. But the point is, these, you know, town halls, if you will, Twitter has become as much of a town hall as it possibly can be, 
Uh, Zuckerberg right now is about to let go another 10,000 employees. That's insane. So we see Jeez. what, you know, going woke does to a company that obviously that he just let go 10,000 people back in November. And now he's letting them go another 10,000. Now mm-hmm. it's like, you see the results of that. You see the product of that. How, how can anyone with half a brain realize that trying to censor people that you don't like is not the way that you achieve peaceful change. Mm-hmm. Peaceful change has to come at the free, fl- free flow and exchange of information and ideas, the challenging of someone's opinion, the challenging of someone's narrative, and the the willingness to challenge your own beliefs. That's what we have to have the bravery to do now is to go, you know what? Maybe I have been wrong about this given concept for this much time. We all want to believe that we're in the right and everything that, that we that we consider in our in our belief structure and and, and, and everything. But I think that as society does have much more of a free-flowing exchange of information through things like Twitter, it's my hope that some of these indifferences that we have can be solved logically and politically and without the need for things to escalate. That's my hope. And if the Founding Fathers were here today, well, for one, they'd probably smack the crap out of us and call us a bunch of pansies. But if they were here today, they would probably be like, that's the answer. Y'all need to hash this out and figure it out and be logical because they were logical yeah. people. They they had a very open willingness for civil discourse. So they were, they that's the thing. And then, you know, I really, really wish that it was, you, we could get our current legislators to have that same ability um, openness. To, to have that open Honesty. discourse. Yes. Because it makes me wonder, you know, like why why these guys are not able to all be in the same room and have an open discussion. Everything kind of, you know, turns into a he says, she said, you want this, you want to push your gram- grandma off the cliff and yeah. all this. Towing a narrative yeah. of the party Everything and not turns into- of your own individual principles as a person. Exactly. You should bring exactly. your own individual principles into a situation. And sometimes it takes bravery to say- I don't agree with my party on this. I don't agree with this person. Hey, I know you're in an opposite party from me, but you know what? You made a valid point there. And I just want to say that, you know, despite the fact that I disagree with your point, this is how I would like to handle and solve the situation. We can both have the same grievance on this particular issue. I just disagree with your solution. I think this solution is better. And this is why I think the solution is better. Simple. It's just, if you're in a board meeting at a giant company, right? You've got thousands of people in your company or something like that. And you're on the board of directors and you'll have to sit at a meeting with 20 people and hash out the best path forward. You you don't just go, well, I think this way. And you know what I mean? My, my opinion is best no matter what. No, like your job at that point is to be able to articulate, you know, you need to articulate the negative, the positive, the neutral, and everything in between to be able to come up with the absolute best solution to adhere to your fiduciary duties to the shareholders. This is true. And if we are the shareholders of this country, if we, the citizens, are in fact the shareholders of this mega corporation that is the United States, well, then why aren't they adhering to their fiduciary duties 
in keeping us profitable, keeping us healthy, keeping the country running smoothly and adhering to our constitutional rights at every turn. Because they don't have to. No one's holding them accountable. Right. Because they are they are no longer party to the contract. They are no longer playing by the rules of the contract. Uh, and that's just the bottom line. It, it is. And it's sad that, to look at, but, but that's the reality we live under. And those that do step out and try to do that get punished or squashed or silenced or deplatformed. So, I mean... Think about that. You have a bunch of guys that, you know, do that on a regular basis. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of, of Manchin, but he is on the Democratic, he is a member of the Democratic Party that does often go against the grain. Now, we, there are things in it for him for his particular state, but most, most congressmen would toe the line yeah. and be willing to take that knife in the back. But, and to his credit, he does go against the grain on what the party wants because of the his constituents. He does think of his constituents first. So. Sin, uh, Mansion and Cinema are outliers. Yep. And then also, uh, people like Thomas Massey are outliers. Yes, love but, me some Thomas uh, so, Massey. So again, it can go in both directions, right? Whereby the Democrats would look at someone like Mansion and go, "Well, you're poison pill." The Republicans look at someone like Massey and be like, well, you're a little bit too libertarian for us. Mm-hmm. Really, Massey is a libertarian and Republicans close. So in is that there, case, is there a word a, for that? Because they have rhinos. Well, a rhi- what- look, a rhino <laughs> can, can, can be a rhino. There's more than one way to be a rhino. Yeah. Just like, you know, if, if Mansion is a dino mm-hmm. in some ways, yeah. right, there's always nuance to every situation. So that's why it's important to have recorded votes. Now, I don't want to get into all of this because we're getting kind of close on time on this podcast, and I didn't really mean to go far down the political rabbit hole, but I think it is, it's relative to what people are going through right now in their lives, and it's relative to what our country's going through, and it's relative to why the soldier mindset is so important right now because we all have to soldier up and deal with these problems, right? That's what this all comes down to. But um, when we look at the nuance of the situation, Right. That's why established voting record is so important. That's why we shouldn't allow these pork laden packages to just get a line party vote and then, you know, all right, we're just going to box this up and send it on down the line. We need to have recorded votes, individual recorded votes on every individual piece of legislation. That is the only way that we can paint a legitimate picture of who supports what and to Mm -hmm. really know what their voting record truly is. And I support a guy like Thomas Massey. I think Thomas Massey is the future of the Republican Party. You know, I recently joined Libertarians. People can give me crap all they want, but I'm just, I'm done with them. Yeah, it's it's hard. I don't it's, support him anymore. Yeah, it's hard these days because everybody's kind of wishy-washy. Everybody's playing the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody's playing the game. It'll I think be, independent is the best way to go. But independent's hard to get the vote, you know? Independence hard to get the vote. I'm talking about as a voter, it's better to be independent. Yes, as a voter, but it's hard to run as an independent. Oh, yeah. That's the problem. No so, way. Yeah. Can't run as an independent. Yep. But I think being a voter that, you know, someone who maybe doesn't have political aspirations to run for office, but mm-hmm. from a voting perspective, I think it's important to be independent because then it's like, hey, I'm just going to judge each candidate by their merits and flaws and vote accordingly. Now, and I have to look this up. I don't know. Like there are some so states. Of course, there's terrible candidates on both sides of the fence. Yeah. Some states require you to register as a specific party to vote. 
do they even have an independent option? Like that's I have to look up because I know typically yeah. it's Republican or Democrat, but maybe you can. And a lot of times you're forced to vote ticket. Yeah, like you have yeah. to vote a certain way. So that'll be curious. Yeah, I'm one. I mean, if you think about it, all the original Congress and founding fathers after the war. They all rolled into politics anyways. Lots of the Congress and senators and a lot of the the public figures came from the military. A lot of them were generals and captains and majors. So in a sense, they had the heartbeat of America. They had known they, they knew exactly what we went they through. They created it. Yeah, how hard it was. I think we've I think we've strayed from that. Yeah. I think now a lot of our especially the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives are supposed to be of the people. They come from your local districts. And I just don't like, so how is it that a doctor that makes, let's just say on the low end, $300,000 a year, how is that person a accurate depiction of an entire district? And I say that because that's the, that's the representative for district six is a doctor. District six in Georgia is, is very large. It has all income levels. Sure. So I don't believe that being a doctor is the most accurate representation of that district. But yeah, I think it all just depends if they're a well-respected member of their community. But, you know, are they well respected? Do, do they, do they have their fingers on the pulse? Do they know people? Well, that's like, the thing. How, I mean, how you gotta much think of a doctors pulse probably know a lot of people too. If they've yeah. got patients from all around the community. So, yeah. you know, they probably hear everyone's ills and, you know, maybe, maybe they have their ear to the ground a little better than you might I, think. I, I'm just more partial to, I would have rather seen like maybe a local business person yeah. or like, uh, uh, someone that's more in touch with or, yeah. Of the local community, the people, not someone that's hey. If their voting there. records on point, if they know yeah. the people, if they feel like they're they're that you know you can relate to them, well, then that's all that matters. Like, as long as they you feel like they they represent you. You think about Washington, George Washington. He could have been a king. They they wanted him to stay president for his whole life. Like they loved him. Yep. When he left the Continental Army, people were upset as crap. They hated losing Washington. When he went into politics, he could have been a king. He was like, no, I will not be a king. We're going to adhere to this, right? Like, it takes a lot. It takes a lot for a person to be given power and go, you know what? I can't receive this because it's too dangerous to have. We just escaped it, right? That's what we just fought this war to escape. There's no way that I'm about to turn around and become a tyrant or become even, I don't even want to be a king. We just been... escaped a king. Why would I want to become a king? It takes a lot of courage to give up power when you're given power, when you're given that 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 dangerous Pandora's box and, and the key to Pandora's box. It takes courage to go, you know what? This key is safe with me and this box is safe with me. I'll never combine them. Uh, I understand that, that that power that's mishandled is dangerous. And um, I think that we have gotten away from that concept as a country and you know, is there any going back? Are we on the path to correcting things? That's hard to say. I mean, it's very difficult to say. I think that the people, citizens, average citizens, are much more on the path now to being self-reliant, self-prepared, more aware, uh, more informed, getting 
a better snapshot of the available information now than what we were even just a few decades, if not even one decade ago. Heck, months ago, right? This whole Twitter thing has really opened up a lot of people's eyes. Look at all the Twitter files dropping, right? Look at all the these whistleblowers coming out. I think society's getting fed up with all the lies and the indoctrination and the propaganda. I think society just wants details. They want the facts and they want to decide for themselves. Look at all of the major news shows that are dropping like flies. They just sent Don Lemon down down the river. I bet that's a sour lemon to suck on. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Don. But look, you know, people are tired of being lied to. And I think that it does give me hope for the future that common sense and good, well-informed consent from people will prevail in the end. I agree. Very well said. I hope so. Gosh, I mean, I've got a lot riding on that, but I hope so. <laughs> I, 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 I feel positive about it. I'm not going to rest on my laurels and I'm not going to, I'm not going to assume the best. I'm going to, again, like any soldier would do, I'm going to hope for the best and I'm going to prepare for the worst. That's all we can hope for is hope that the next generation is able to, to make some changes and, and correct course. And that we are. I mean, th- this is, this is the life we're living. This is the country we're currently making. We are, we are the founding fathers of tomorrow, whether we like it or not. And yep. that's the way you have to think of it. That the, the decisions you make will echo in eternity. If you, and, and it can be a very bad echo depending on how you look at it. So, and, and, and what happens. So, Anyway, I think this is a great podcast, and I know we articulated a lot of points, and this could go on a lot longer. I, I know we're kind of running up on time here, but keep that in the back of your mind. Anyone can be a soldier, and a soldier is just simple accountability, and uh, that accountability comes with a set of tools and circumstances that you have at your disposal. It's really not a difficult concept. It's just simple responsibility of the world around you yep. and being willing to be responsible for the world that inflicts itself upon you. Uh, at every turn and um and and being able to recognize when it's being inflicted upon you and stop it in its tracks and, and that's really what it comes down to anything else you got before we head on for the day no that was great we hit a lot of good points i think at the very end there we really got to the root of what we wanted to talk about yeah. um but everything else just you know soldiering is mainly just stepping up and and receiving that responsibility. The mm-hmm. responsibility is always there. It's ever present. When you choose to step up and accept that responsibility is when that's when you decide to be a soldier. I agree. I absolutely agree. 110%. Um, make sure you check out the jujitsu Academy up there in Roswell, Georgia. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll put down. a link uh, in the description box below. If you're following here on YouTube, make sure you check out the uh, Academy Great group of people up there. And we'll, we'll probably have some videos coming out. Uh, I want to show you guys what they got going on. It'll be cool. And I might go up there and get my butt whipped a couple of times. Oh, yeah, man. But, uh, yeah, I get thrown around a little <laughs> bit. Probably throw my back out. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, thanks so much for tuning in. Many more podcasts on the way. We've really been trying to stay on top of these. But I apologize for the lack of content. We're trying to get back on them. Uh, it can be hard to, to release one every single week. Uh Matt and I are both very busy, but I hope that in time we'll be able to get caught back up. But thank you so much for supporting our efforts. If you're following us on all of the various podcast forums, make sure that you uh, give us a good rating so that we can show up in the search results. So big thank you to all of our listeners here out in the podcast realm. But also uh, those of you that watch in video form, we do post these podcasts in video form. 
So make sure you check them out over on iRightVeteran8888. Also, make sure you follow me on Twitter at iRightVeteran8888. We will probably do an LLP Twitter page in time. Uh, boy, I've got so many things I, ke- I take uh, that that I try to keep up with. I, I don't know if I got time, but but I, I may go ahead and make a, a Twitter page for LLP. But thanks for tuning in for Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. Have yourselves a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.